0: for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs then look no further than always press record productions with over 100 hours of original content produced always press record productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your youtube podcast and music video needs check them out at alwayspressrecord.com once again that's alwayspressrecord.com and remember they press record and you become the star
1: So when I do the work, it's coming from a whole another level of passion and commitment. I truly feel like the work that I've done within the communities of Houston, you know, learning the skills to articulate yourself when you have um, certain issues, knowing how to address trauma that you never dealt with before, having certain particular conversations with people that are difficult to have conversations with, but finding a medium to be able to do that. These are what the restorative practices that have helped me do. All right. So in Houston, Texas, over 70,000 people are trapped in the criminal justice system without being able to afford an attorney. 71% of those people that are trapped in the criminal justice system are um, receiving inadequate defense. Now, that's about 50,000 people 50,000 people, think about that. That's the same amount of people at Texas A&M College Station. Now, this is a problem, and the problem is leading into mass incarceration. Now, we have access to all these numbers, all this information, but the bigger question is what are we doing about it? Now, Restoring Justice is a nonprofit organization which is offering loving and holistic legal uh, services to the oppressed and the forgotten. And today, we have the CEO and founder of Restoring Justice, a defense attorney, um, a father and a husband, and a good friend of mine, Drew Wiley. How you doing, man?
2: Carlos, thanks Welcome for having to me. to the
1: show, man. Yeah. How you feeling? Good. Good, good. Well, um, to intro, um, the way I met Drew. Um, while I was at Kip Houston High School, um, I was working with an attorney that was coming into the school, um, as I alluded to in previous episodes, um, coming in and speaking to my students about what to do when they get pulled over, certain laws to know, and information that I thought would be impactful for uh, my students to have. Um, And within that time that I worked with her, her name was Christina uh, Beeler, um, we built a relationship. And she hit me up one time one day um, with an email telling me, hey, there's this guy, Um, he's an attorney, and he would love, and he has his own nonprofit organization, and he would love to learn more about uh, restorative practices within a school system. Um, And I remember it was very quick, Um, we got in contact, um, and I met Drew for lunch um and he paid for lunch which is uh pretty good <laughs> and um we we just had an organic conversation about restorative practices in school and how to f- help the community and the people and it just seemed so genuine um his take on it and his views on it and the compassion with it and it just felt real to me so um i got a good impression from this guy and i wanted to uh bring him to the show and have a uh, have my audience experience um, a conversation with a a defense attorney that has his own nonprofit um, trying to build this restorative work, not only within schools, but across the country. So uh, the first question I want to ask you, Drew, um, is what got you to, what inspired you or influenced you to start your nonprofit, Restoring Justice?
2: Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of Factors that went into to it, obviously a lot of kind of inspirational moments. Um, the most tangible one was uh, when I was the summer after my first year of law school, and I was hmm. um, I went to law school to be a tax ac- a tax lawyer. Oh. I was a tax accountant before, and I thought they'd let me be a glorified accountant if I had a law degree.
1: Gotcha.
2: Um, but I got worked a to death penalty clinic <clears throat> at the same time as I was doing my old accounting job. So in the mornings. I was doing accounting work for oil and gas company, and then uh afternoons and nights representing folks on death row where I would mm-hmm. go to death row um I had never really had much exposure to the criminal justice system other than maybe some you know college transgressions that my parents and resources could quickly handle and maybe, take yeah. care of um and I saw what Jefferson County Beaumont, Texas, did to a man that was very poor mentally ill black Hmm. and the way that the system trampled him didn't allow his story to be told Hmm. even as i was trying to fill out a clemency petition to governor perry at the time even the attorneys on that because of his mentally ill claims um disallowed a lot of his story to be told Gotcha. and so you talk about a man that at the end of the summer (coughs) texas took his life a totally redeemed man whose story never got told hmm. because of lack of counsel, lack of adequate counsel. Hmm. Um, I saw that as, as an injustice that just couldn't stand. And if this was true in our system, something more had to be done. Hmm. I
3: have a question, man. What's it like, like I, I guess, I, how, what, how did you feel going that for like for the first time, yeah. like going into speaking or talking to someone knowing they're going to die? Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, part of me couldn't even believe that they let us do that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, just a law student, first year, you know, just trying to get good grades, and, and they're letting us go into Polinski Unit, is where Death Row is hmm. in Texas. And, um, so, you know, you have the hour long drive, you drive through the fields, right? Which now I have different images of in my brain of, of remnants of the history as I've learned right of, of you know these cotton fields all around these these prison yards right what hmm. that means in the work that they're trying to exploit out here um, and then driving up to the tower right and they're like checking your back see if you have question to me about the golf clubs back there is that a weapon right and it's like this is odd and then they don't let you take anything but your id card into it and, and then you know to your question about speaking to someone it was just very quickly, it got past the awkward worry tension, because very quickly, Marvin Wilson was the client's name, and, and particularly with him, very quickly, I could tell this man was joyful, this man was loving, this man was redeemed, and he just wanted to talk. And so the human aspect really took over very quickly, despite the glass, uh, and there's really kind of a real connection there. Hmm. Wow. thank you for sharing that,
1: that's, uh, Steve. Um now with um that's what inspired you and influenced you to uh start your nonprofit. Can you talk about the process to to getting that done? Because uh, you talking about that happened when you were in law school. What was your process to, like getting into practice in law and then doing what you were doing what you're doing now as a defense attorney into uh having your own
2: nonprofit? Yeah. Um you know Marvin Wilson's execution was certainly the turning point for me. That that no longer tax law was it, and it was indigent criminal defense was the only thing that I felt called to do. Um, and so, you know, some doors opened. I got some good training in public defense uh, by a group called Gideon's Promise hmm. through a program with the Public Defender's Office here in Harris County, um, and just started hitting the streets, right, trying to build my practice um, without a nonprofit. And, the calls I would get from folks knowing that I was wanting to represent the poor Hmm. um, of people saying, Hey, my court appointed attorney hadn't seen me hadn't seen my brother in six months. Right. Um, They're just, they haven't done anything on the case. Enough calls came in to where like I couldn't do that pro bono and and survive. And and God just put on my heart that you better do this the full way and do it nonprofit style. um, he's been with us ever since and grown it wow.
3: What's, what uh, for those that don't know what is a non nonprofit what, what does non nonprofit mean? Yeah.
2: yeah, so it's it's you know essentially an organization that um, it doesn't run like a business because it doesn't generate its own profits. It takes donations so that it can provide a service. and so there's all these kind of trigger points that you know a lot of times it's replacing government services. Mm. Ours is actually pretty direct in that, but yeah, you just justify yourself and if you do start running a business and selling goods and stuff, you gotta pay taxes on that. But if you're just collecting money to provide this service, then you don't have to pay any taxes. Hmm.
1: So with your um with your nonprofit restoring justice, can you talk about a little bit how that works? How do people get in contact with you? What exactly do you service people with and how does it look for people to understand like how how they make it go.
2: Yeah, I love that question because we have kind of a secret, maybe unexpected kind of answer to it is <laughs> we don't we don't really advertise and wait for referrals. Like we gotcha. have no kind of marketing needs for clients. Like that fifty thousand that yeah, yeah. you that you cited, I mean we know exactly where they are and we know which of those fifty thousand are being most depressed and most most forgotten. So, you go get them. so we go get
1: them. Gotcha. I love yeah. that. I yeah. love that man. That's awesome. Now um what was that like? What is the most difficult thing for you being a defense attorney, especially out here in in Houston, Texas?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I was fortunate to have this really good Gideon's Promise public defender training that mm-hmm. kind of prepped me to face the daily oppressions that being in court, you know, you're faced with because you're standing there as a lawyer and your you know your quote colleagues or peers. Ordinarily, as society would define it, is probably the judge sitting on the bench and the prosecutor. Well, those two people, and and luckily things are starting to change in Harris County, but historically, right, those two people are trying to very tangibly, very every single day, every moment, trying to throw your client into oppression, whether it's a physical cage or not. Um, And so standing and walking in that Kind of path to where you're trying to stand in the way of people that are supposed to be your colleagues is something that can be very lonely. Um, you know, because your client's not happy because you're not doing enough. Ju- the judge is pissed at you because you're throwing a wrench in his in his mass incarceration machine. Hmm. The prosecutors just trying to get home at by noon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah,
1: so there's more pressure on you to do what you. You know, you put out to do with a purpose, which is crazy. I mean, I, I think it's important for people to, to hear that. And that's why I asked you, because uh, with the line on the work that we do within schools um, and what we talked about, uh, we've been bringing restorative practices or um, restorative justice type stuff within a school, how difficult it is when, you know, there's so much going on and how mm-hmm. systems are set up already. Um, I want to know, like, when, when with schools, I know you got um, you're working with people. Um, you have someone that works with you that does circles and that type of work. Can you talk about um, what that looks like and like what are you trying to do within communities along with like circles and and building relationships with people?
2: Yeah, so uh, not directly to schools. Yeah, no not directly. Yeah, school. yeah. So the community is is really great. I mean, we just by the grace of God moved into a new spot in Fifth Ward. Yeah. Um, over at you know and anyone's welcome to come by it's an open kind of community space yeah. um, over on New Orleans Street but um, what we're doing there is really opening it up to allow communities to come in and directly engage with mass incarceration mm. so we've got volunteers that are meeting directly with clients those most depressed forgotten voiceless clients yeah. to really help lift them out and really trying to start organizing circles to allow a healing process really the restorative justice of people that are facing the traumas of that oppressive system that's that's awesome because
1: uh with a lot of work that i was doing um at kit School and what i'm doing now pushing into more schools is trying to build those uh type of practices with students um and not only like make it um when things go wrong right because i think that's what happens um in the uh, justice system and then in the school systems where they, they wait till things go wrong and then we're trying to figure out what that looks like. Oh, that's the circle, circles, let's have people talk. Um, and I think it's about building a culture and that's why I love what you're doing because you're, you're trying to shift the culture by like making it norms, right? And, and, and this is, that's my mission to build my curriculum to kind of like give schools more access to like something more concrete, more often where they can start doing this restorative stuff and then kids aren't, like, shocked when, you know, something goes wrong. It's like, oh, let's talk now, mm-hmm. right? It's more of like they've been practicing within their, their,
2: their classes. Well, and you're building a culture that, like, hey, let's talk and let's engage rather, yeah. than, rather than let's just call the police, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just fear. Uh, let's let fear abound. And that's why I think you and I connected so quickly mm. was, like, essentially you and I are, are addressing the same thing in a long-term kind of same way. Yeah. Look, when when something goes wrong, when there's a break in community, when there's a scar in community which is essentially what school discipline or, or crime mm-hmm. you know is is there some kind of scar in this little isolated community however you define it, what is our response going to be to that yeah. you know shouldn't it be to heal that scar which then you know ultimately is like wholeness for everyone involved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really what you're doing in the schools. And that's what we're trying to make sure we do in the criminal justice system, which fortunately in America, you know, nobody's ever tried to think of the justice system as as what I believe to be kind of biblical wholeness justice. Mm. Um,
1: It's good that you say that because um, I had this conversation over the phone with someone um, that was telling you earlier from Canada and just talking about like, you know, why don't we want to work towards being whole mm-hmm. as individuals, right? And I'm working with um, educators and administrators now to give them the training to use. But it's more about, like, just being better individuals, like being able to live a life that is, is, is um, able to be lived without with less stress. You know, what I mean, um, being able to have these difficult conversations and address things. I think it's just exposure. Like mm-hmm. just being able to have exposure because people think about to be honest, the stigma of like circles and restorative practice, like oh, is this kumbaya thing, like sit in circle, that don't work, right? Especially mm-hmm. in the black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like bull for people. Um and I think it's you know, bringing and that's what I'm using my story with my father and everything like that, where it's like it's bigger than that, you know what I mean? Because it killed my father, like holding mm-hmm. that stuff in, saying like Whatever happens in a household stays in a household type role that you just build up. And essentially, yeah, I said this earlier um, to someone, and it hit me. It made me realize even more. Um, and I think that's what the point of the work is, right? The more you talk about it, the more you identify it, right? Yeah. Um, it's just like we tell ourselves whatever happens in a household stays in a household, right? And we keep on telling ourselves that. And then we're protecting it and we're protecting it until we forget it. And then it becomes trauma that you're unconscious about. Mm. right and then it just you start your behavior start doing what the trauma you know taught you right and then it's brought on to your kids and then it just repeats the cycle you know what i mean And it, it, it's just exposure is what the mission is and i think um and i know with with starting at every level like dre is as a behavioral specialist being in a classroom trying to I see him working to, like, build that culture with those kids. But, like, there's so many things that's, you know, what I mean, um, in the way or, like, the way the system is set up and then trying to get to, like, a whole in all, like, from top to bottom in schools and in communities and in the criminal justice system. Like it's, I think it's important that you said, um, you brought up how difficult it is. You're going against what is the norm right now, which like is crazy.
3: That was crazy when he said that. I was like, man, I got sitting there think about it. Our jobs are so like than I even thought about yeah. because my hardest ju- part of my job is not uh, getting the kid to behave. That's actually the easy part for me. Yeah. You know, um, um, I'm in a setting in which I can actually get to know the student. I get to understand where they come from in the background. I get to. See why they think the way they think, why they make the choices they make, why they react the way they react. Right? Um, everyone else can, you know, diagnose them real quickly and you know say that this, this is the problem or or this, but. You know sometimes when you really look in like when you meet some of these people that are on death row and and you know you see the outside world like all oh, their monsters but then you walk and you, and within 10 minutes you see that there's a real person so it's the same thing with me it's like okay yeah anybody can look at a kid's rap sheet and say oh well hearing what they did they must be the worst kid in the world but then i'm like have you even sat down with this kid for more than 10 minutes to hear who he is how he feels how you know but the hardest part is simply getting them accepted back mm-hmm. you know like i got a, a classroom full of kids which half of them could probably be in class but no one wants to accept a kid with that label and i'm thinking about everybody who gets out of jail right no job wants to get that that felon or the the person with the record
1: Take
3: a nice you know and so it's like like you said you're sitting there um trying to uh <clears throat> make sure your client doesn't go into that life of oppression well, the same thing with the students, right? I'm trying to make sure that they don't go through their rest of their school year with a tag or, or behavior label on them because no matter where they go, there's always going to be on the record that, A, that they have actually been through it. And some of the kids, especially the ones that probably didn't need as an intensive behavior setting such as mine, mm-hmm. well, they'll eventually turn into those kids that do need it because they'll be so surrounded by that. And that's what they will end up learning or picking up on and again it's the well, same thing happens in the, in, the, in the criminal justice system right you, you they you know they just you know put you in jail uh you see, see people going to jail for some like the smallest things but while they're in there they develop this mentality and then it gets worse and worse and worse yeah. and so again it's the same thing especially when um you know in my class it's set up uh for uh, anybody between kindergarten and fifth grade. Well, it's not a lot of times where you actually see a class with every single grade level, but I can't have, I haven't had a year in which every single grade level wasn't in my class. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, how is this not jail? Like, how, how are you, put you, you are putting a whole bunch of kids with a whole bunch of different problems in a whole bunch of different age groups, a whole bunch a of whole different time. grade levels, and you're telling me to teach them all, fix them all, get all of those behaviors back to normal, Right.
2: And those intentions aren't even there in, in county jail. Right. Yeah. And then not even that. Mm-hmm.
3: Then I have to convince another person that they could be in their class. Right. Then I have to convince. And so in the system you fight against, like you're saying, it's just a system that you're fighting against. Mm-hmm. Well, these schools that send kids to me are profiting because of that. Mm-hmm. Their test scores are great. Mm-hmm. Right. That kid isn't up in there uh, disrupting a class yeah, full of right 25 kids that... Now, I, with that kid out oh, and he's in my class, those 25 kids can sit there right now. Scores go up, more so, on. you know, even when we're in these meetings, in which we have to go over all the legal stuff from, to the parents as they come in the class, right? And they're like, our Right, meetings, yeah. Right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would I love. Saying, I would love. A oh, man. <laughs> man. Yeah. Like, I'm, I would love to have like a reality TV show on our meetings alone. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you, you hear some of the stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, It's almost like, okay, you read this legal literature to the Mm -hmm. parents. And, like, well, some of the questions are is the classroom environment Mm -hmm. better with that kid out? I mean, in so many words, right? It's like, not, it doesn't say it, right? And so, or can you, you know, with this kid in the room, you know, does it distract the learning environment? Of course, every teacher's gonna say, yeah, Mm -hmm. right? But then, like you said, they come here and it's like, well, wow. after a week or two of showing them that you actually care about them and getting to know them, then all of a sudden those behaviors are gone, right? But are they willing to be accepted? Right? All the schools that send kids, do they ever check on them and see if their behaviors are good enough again so they go back? No. Nah. As long as they're out their house, and then uh, house, as long as they're out their school, they're out there. that's not their problem. And then what really gets me is that in the month of October, where you have your school account has to be turned in to see how much money you're gonna get per enrollment. Yeah, Once early. that date is over, my classroom size goes up. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, what are you looking at? Okay, now you got schools who get the funding for the kid the moment the cutoff date goes, all right, get the kid out of here.
2: Jeez.
3: Right? Now they come to me, right? Well, the funding still goes there. Test scores go to, to us doesn't go there anymore you know and so now all the good schools you know the the, the high scoring schools oh man if they don't if the, if they see a kid that may not fit their you know ideal version of a student or if they don't see a potential in helping that that number go up what's, oh man what's hey oh what, what is he is he not doing his work is is he yeah. sitting there without writing oh that's a behavior problem you know what well, let's track it yeah let's track it right or let's say a kid does have some behavior problems and we all know that uh, you know sometimes you know i'm saying sometimes majority of the time behavior problems reflect the lack of knowledge in the classroom right if i'm not if i don't know if i don't understand if i'm not you know if i can't cognitively you You know get i'm gonna act up i'm gonna act out i'm do something to get attention right so so then, okay, okay. Well, now I got this kid who starts to act up. Right. Yeah. Now I got a kid who's acting up and who's low performing. Mm. You know what? I think we can just start tracking them, tracking them until we get enough data to say, you know, what this kid needs to be in the behavior class. Right?
2: Well, because as soon as that target is placed on their back, as soon as that label is placed on their back, then you know, fear becomes the infectious disease that it is, and just takes over. And then it's, and then it's not even a matter of those other teachers having the decision in their head of is it a hard road or an easy road right I mean obviously love is the hard road yeah. and and but that infection of fear comes in and says well just do the easy thing right and The easy yeah. thing yeah. is, is, is uptake your budget uptick your scores right. uptick
3: your well, and, and it's crazy like when you, you mentioned that fear it would it it was funny how I would see people come into my classroom whether it be you know someone from the district or, or a program specialist, and they would immediately change their mood when looking at my kids. I'm like, mm. just because of the title of my classroom, they oh, yeah. come in yeah. and just immediately look at each and every kid like something's wrong. I'm like, you walked in when they were sitting down, mm. doing right. work, right? right? Kid just it's came up to me it. and asked a question. Go sit down. I'm like, what you, wait a minute. I didn't even say he was doing wrong yet. You know, but the stigma, right? Because my class is called behavior support class. When that kid got up out of his seat to come ask me a question, it looks something wrong. But if I were in the gifted and talented class or if yeah. I were in this class and that kid got up,
1: oh, it's cool. And you know, you know? It, it's conditioning in both ways because um, when I was that kid, I was also a 504 coordinator. So I work mm-hmm. with the R's and these meetings, too. And what I noticed is a big part of the struggle in those meetings like I, I, felt like at times some of those um, meetings I was like a motivational speaker, because it was like I had to convince the kid mm-hmm. of his abilities or her abilities, because they've had been conditioned to believe there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with them, and I'm like, and and the, it'll be for the I've had cases because five hundred four isn't what they call the extreme situations, right? It's like kids have like a. Um, they're diagnosed with something and it isn't that bad but they need to place them somewhere right when I did
3: the five for quarter yes yeah. prep it's more about a uh, protection from your dis- uh, disability Correct. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, whether it's severe or not yeah. it just puts uh it there's laws that protect uh Absolutely. schools as well as employee and yeah, uh, em- yeah. places of employment from um, pretty much making decisions based on your disability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you can... Uh, even college students take their 504 yeah, take it to college yeah. and then they get certain accommodations or stuff right. like that.
1: But I remember, like, that was just, like, the struggle was, like, <laughs> like, convincing the child because they have been in 504 for, like, five, seven years and it's like they really believe that they're not able of because you can you can work your way out of 504 that's the difference like mm-hmm. you can work work out of it and i had to like do this whole process of convincing not only the parent but the student that you can do this you you've you're capable you've shown that you can do this um and it's just like the conditioning, so I can only imagine, I love that you connected everything, because how it mm-hmm. connects, where it starts, and that's what we're talking about. It starts way young, and then it's all the way up to the criminal justice system, it's, it doesn't look that much different.
3: It was crazy, yeah. like that episode that we actually did when we talked about success, and yeah. translating success, um, you know, of course, which highlights your book and everything you're yeah. working towards, but... Um, we talked about this, you know, pretty much how to translate that, so, And I even took that after we had that good uh, episode. Took it to my classroom, and we did a writing prompt on what does success look like to you? Mm. Because, like we talked about in that show, <clears throat> my success wouldn't isn't, wouldn't be helpful for kids, right? My success is creating a nice environment for them to send the kid to, so he can be comfortable in here and never have to go back. That'll look successful to me, but that's not that doesn't feel successful to me. Like, it's successful when that kid gets out and goes back in there, and then that teacher says, oh, well, he's great. Or when, you know, I get a, a family who moved to a different state, and they say, oh, okay, well, this kid's not only out of behavior, but they're getting awards, yeah. you know? And so, like, that's success to me. But, of course, in numbers or, you know, when you look at that, that doesn't look like success. Yeah. Because yeah, you when you come in my classroom, you want to see the kids that couldn't function in that class functioning here. Because I have to back up what you did, right? The school that sent them, I have to make you look good for sending them, right? right? Same thing, like, you know, with, like, the system you say you're, you're fighting against. But <clears throat> the point is, I like, like I said, after that, I had uh, went to uh, my classroom, and I was like, I had to think about how every success story of a student that I did have, and what did I do, mm-hmm. highlighted something they were good at, and pressed on it. Because what had they gotten all their life? pressure on how what you were bad at fear fear right so in order to switch their you know convince them that they can do something i have to show them what they have already done i have to show them what skills that they already possess i have to let them know that and i even tell my coworkers i'm like sometimes when you read some of these incidents you gotta give the kid he's a genius like of course it's bad but to think of a way to do what you did that was bad lets you know that you've got some intelligence somewhere in there. You know, I got a kid that I'd let you know some of the stuff he did. You'd be like, what is he How did he even know to do that? And so once you highlight, like, okay, this kid can think. This kid can put things together. He just did it in a horrible way. Like some of the criminals, probably are geniuses. You know, master's degrees, doctor level degrees are sitting in jail right now. Oh, yeah. Same thing in the behavior class. Yeah. You
1: know? And, and the crazy thing <laughs> is, too, um... Off of that with, like, you were saying um, with the, the the teachers being able to do that, right? Like, tell them. I think mm-hmm. what we talked about in the last episode was um, they haven't been able to do that in their own lives. They can't tell a relative, hey, you're doing great, right? They haven't addressed their own shit to mm-hmm. be able to do in their own life. Mm-hmm. And then you're telling them to go in the classroom and do it with kids that they grew up like seeing a kid like that reminds them of a bully they had at school, or like, mm-hmm. or I've seen this the comp, the ultra confident kid, right, that has behavior issues, but he just confident. It's like all like a show, right? But they're taking that as, oh, he's cocky, he doesn't need me to tell him that he's good at this already, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's so. My wife was that type of student, mm-hmm. right? My wife, she was the one that was very popular, was very outspoken, and had a voice, right? And because of that, and still to this day even at her job and teaching, right? Uh, we She's been going through this her whole life. Because of the way she is, people around her don't tell her certain things that they would tell me. Mm. Because, yes. right? Yes. Because it's like, yes. oh, she doesn't need to hear this. Yes. She already has this, that, the third, but yet a compliment like that is something that can change that person's day, right? Mm-hmm. We hear that all the time. But like it's hard for them to do it because they have this bias, this unconscious bias right in that moment and I think that goes from school all the way to the justice system. and the crazy thing is it starts early but you have so much support like you're you're you have more opportunity for support right where teachers are like you may come across one teacher or you know someone that could change the goal life. is there yeah yeah <clears throat> but when they get older it's, it's gone it's like you figure it out by yourself no yeah shit. nobody there's gives a there's no them. goal there
2: to treat anybody and that and that fear feeds right I mean that's Talk about the whole spectrum, and those students that are coming to your classroom, you know, the system, the fear that is embedded in the people that are driving them into where they end up, Mm. right? Well, then that gets internalized, and that kind of systematic oppression that they face, well, that's what we're calling institutionalization, right? Mm. That's the school to prison pipeline. Look, I told yeah. you I wouldn't have anything to say about that. <laughs> I man. that, that no, that
3: is, that is so on point because, like, when his kids come to me, and one of the things that I'll, and, and most people don't understand, is I can't wait for the first meltdown. Mm-hmm. That's the most honest time you will ever have a kid. Or, or, or in experience with the kid mm. is when they're having a meltdown yeah. i've heard so much that goes on at home that went on at the old school that went on from a teacher in the midst of a random meltdown right just simply listening to them as they're screaming as they're saying uh, you know everyone hates me da, 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 da. this person did this and it's like okay well let me listen to this right quick you know i'm not gonna shut him down right now you know most people would say no you're disrespectful you're yelling no you gotta listen Like, he's literally telling you everything that someone's ever did to him, ever told to him, right? I mean, most of my students, because remember... When a school, you know, has an art, you know, meeting and they make that decision that their kid is going, you know, is eligible to be in a special education or could go to a behavior class. From that point on, they just let them do whatever they want because they know that, yeah, we know what direction we're moving in, so don't worry about it, right? So before they get to me, they probably had a month or two of whatever they want to do, of going crazy because they needed to collect that data to prove that they should be in a behavior class. You know, a lot of my kids spend most of their day in the front office. A lot of my kids spend most of the day in the back of the classroom, not even doing anything.
2: Well, and that's what what happens in the system. there are active police decisions on where to go, and they've got their guys, and they tick them. And it's like, that's a trespass. That's a traffic ticket. Mm -hmm. We're building it up. We're building up those misdemeanors. And eventually, we're going to get the felony, and eventually, we're literally going to throw you away and lock the key and, and mm-hmm. never never let you out again.
3: Right. I mean, and, and again, it's exactly the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of jail, right? Like, oh, I'm going to see you in here for three years, and after that, you should be okay, right? Uh, you're, th- you're throwing kids in the behavior class with other kids, and even, and again, when you walk into my class and you see just all the ones, like, you wouldn't think of the behavior class would have 11, 12, 13 kids in there. You know, this is special education, smaller setting behavior class. Right. But kind of like you shared about your wife and how um, there's this stigma about her that she doesn't need the help or she doesn't need that feedback. Right. Yeah. Well, no one thinks I have a problem with 11 kids with five different grade levels.
1: Because you can handle it. Yep.
3: Because once they get in my classroom, yes, physically, they're not running out anymore. I'm not calling parents left and right. So parents think, you know, feel like, oh, this must have been the right thing because now my phone's not ringing every day and I don't have to come up and get and get them you know and it's and it's every time you think about it it, you 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 get outlook of a bigger systematic issue right Mm -hmm. because you're looking at a first grader why would i ever get a kid with only one year of school experience think about that well what typically happens to a first year first grade teacher someone some some small uh lady coming out of college you know and teaching first grade oh she's going to get the worst but they always give the newer teachers and they give the tenure teachers the best behave right. to get them, right? So now you got the little girl who just started teaching and getting the worst of the worst. She's probably burned out after week three because she's never experienced a kid that, like that. Oh, now, okay, well, now you got, and I've, I've literally seen it. I've seen a teacher leave after half of a semester because she literally couldn't take it. But the kids in her class were deemed special ed or behavior problems. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, this this whole spectrum... I'm just, and I can share his story because he's, he's asked us to, I mean, it, this whole spectrum can be seen in, in this one case that we dealt with this week. His name is Kevin and, hmm. and he had real serious trauma as a child, like been now been diagnosed with PTSD from something that happened. Right. And And so he got labeled and he had anxiety and a personality disorder. So in schools, right, he was growing up, didn't have the recognition, like you're classroom can have and so they just labeled him in that fear and he's just been slowly institutionalized and and his mental illnesses never went diagnosed and so now he's an adult and now he's arrested and he's got his first kind of potentially serious violent assault offense Hmm. and his court and so we've gotten to the place where there's not even the good intentions and so the court-appointed attorney has just sailed him down the road right and so he literally had been sitting for a year and he had only seen his court-appointed attorney two or three times. No defense, no plan, nothing for this guy. Our counselor, when we took over the case, our counselor started seeing him. And he said, if nobody stepped in, he would have harmed himself enough to the point where I think he would have died in a month. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about this harm that's happened on this one body. I'm seeing it on the, on the back end of what you're seeing on the front end. Is it literally was going to end this man's life. And at the last second we were able to come in, our attorney stood up for him. He he was the prior attorney was going to do six years prison. Sign it away forever. Our attorney came in, they didn't even know what to do, and they stood up and dropped it to a misdemeanor time served. We pulled him out, we got him into a 90-day program. Our counselor is going to see him, our social worker got him connected, the volunteer. Uh, brother is walking through that trauma with him now and so you know the organization's saving lives but what it takes is you or restorative justice or on the back end restoring justice to step in and be that stop and say system you cannot impose this yeah. oppression and fear on somebody we have to enter love for this person's life at some point Yeah. And it's just gotta happen at some point. So I love that y'all are doing it early, and hopefully y'all do your, your work well. Right. <laughs> Dude, I, was just, I was just sitting there you thinking about that. I'm like, it is kind of
3: ironic, know. right? Like I would get the kid at an early age, it's it's high like, school, high right school. here. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, it's like, yeah,
1: the line that <laughs> hey, they hey, the hey. to the change. We got our own
3: business started, right? <laughs> yeah. nine, right. We started right here. <laughs> no,
1: but I, I think it's uh, it's crazy because, um, like you said, that would have killed him. It would have ended him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, PTSD that may have happened when he was at the the kid's age that DeAndre Mm -hmm. deals with, and that's literally that's how I'm looking at it. that's what happened to my father. Mm -hmm. My father ended his life due to a bunch of trauma unmet, right, unmet Mm -hmm. needs, right. And he talked about like I remember my father was alive. He would tell Mm -hmm. he was in the era where the teachers could put hands on the students um, if they got permission from the mother Mm -hmm. or the parent, and my my grandma gave him permission. And he was labeled as a bad kid, and it wasn't be sent to a room um, with another person that can talk to you different. It was I'm gonna beat your ass in front of everybody till you start behaving, and that trauma like messed with him so bad. And that I remember the the, and just the anger and the 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 way his pores rose when he told that story. Like he got real upset. And he didn't express it much, right? It was just, I forgot how the conversation came up, but um, when it did, it was like real, you can notice it, it was a change of mood. Um, But like seeing that happen is like, that's why I'm pushing, like you had your moment um, with uh, watching that case. My moment is like, I was doing the work already, but like now it's like not about me at all. I can Mm. give a damn. It's more about like, I'm willing to go against the grain. And I remember going to um, conferences now, well, not conferences, going to speak at schools to teachers, because I used to speak to students, right? Mm-hmm. I did I still do that. I love doing that. Um, but now I see the purpose in doing the teachers, right? The training for the teachers, right? And then being able to look at these administrators and these teachers that have been in the game for 20 plus years. Like I literally had a, a lady that could be my mom's, right? And she's listening to someone half her age that could be her son. Right, mm-hmm. and then me having to break it down in a way that will be like tangible for her, or like something that makes sense for her to just get up and use. Right, so like that whole challenge, but like having to like see that in the the, the purpose behind it, and, and 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 see like the things that. We, like you said earlier, um, we go to what's easier, right? Because mm-hmm. we got our own shit, right? We're dealing with we're to get home. We got families, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to do things. So we tend to go to the easier thing, but like not noticing. And I mentioned this talking to my wife. Like if you do the work, essentially your job gets easier,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? You become whole. You start. Practicing it at school, and then you start doing it outside of school. You start doing it with your life, where it becomes second nature, and then it becomes easy to have these conversations with these kids, and you don't stress out with a certain behavior, and you don't take things personal anymore. It's just like, oh, that's a that's a uh, identifier that there's something wrong there. Not with me. He may have cursed me out. He may have said this and that, but this kid needs tending to, right? And I think that type of switch and mindset will change the game across the board it's like okay what do you need you need to step out for a second you need to go get some water right to bring them back in and at least get that effort but and then once again like what you said the numbers matter like teachers get fired in these core classes teachers get fired if you don't have certain numbers if you don't have certain test scores grades at a certain number certain passing rates so it becomes what is easier. Let me send that kid to DeAndre. Let me oh. let me get that kid out of my class so my numbers go up, I keep my job and I don't lose my house or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. So it's like all around, like the system is like, and it's crazy that we have to find something cr- like a purpose much greater to like be like F that. I'm willing to like lose my job.
2: Well, right? I, I think that's what's so beautiful about restorative justice, right? as the answer for all of this is because like take the court system, right? You fruit, like, even if you've got really good intentioned people, and they're like, ah, oh, they're tensed up and freaking out, I'm like, well, what do we do with this person? What do we do with this person? Throw them in the cage. Yeah, that's been the answer. But like, what you're saying is, when you embed that, when you flip that switch, the system can then just enact that and essentially get easier and say, hey, we actually can just sit down and have that conversation and heal and make wholeness, and we don't have to throw people in cages. Yeah. Um,
1: and we said this last episode, the microwave effect. We complain about students or kids, this these uh, these kids, this generation, right? Everybody <laughs> wants everything fast, every instant, uh, like instantly microwave success. But like we need to look at the adults. We do too. Like mm-hmm. everybody, like you just said, like let's get the microwave effect. Just throw them in a the cage, right? Yeah. He say something crazy, throw him in a cage, and it's just like, oh, this lesson is going to shit. Just. Let's get
3: rid of this kid, right? He's missing it's, my whole lesson. You no, know, it's crazy. It's like I'm looking at who would are thinking about like teachers. Like you get more warnings as a teacher than you've given this kid. Right? I mean teachers don't get say, all right, well you after your first year, low numbers are gonna send you to the worst school where all these <laughs> other teachers are yeah. worse. And hopefully for two years you come out and write. Yeah. No, it's like you get an improvement plan, you get a mentor, you get all this stuff when That's you're doing all point. that. That's but why my point. kid after first grade gets sent to me? Yes. One year.
2: Was, One year that, after first was, grade, I get this kid. The, the powerful to a different standard, and, yeah. and guess what that's called? Privilege. <laughs> oh, huh? yeah.
3: and, and, and and I would just love to be able to like get teachers that reality check. Like, right. look, look how quick you're giving up on this kid, right. but you expect a principal or a school district not to give up on you.
2: To give you,
3: and, and you're an adult. Dude, yeah. I, you know better was, you know what I mean I just had this
1: meeting right and as I was speaking um the principal had uh, principal had had the meeting the PD with the teachers about like cell phones right and they were saying like the kids are taking over with the cell phones this and that. Meanwhile, when I do engagements, like I said, I go for the whole day. So like I don't like just going and speaking and then not seeing what the is like, get a feel. So I went to classes. I was in classes. I was engaging with kids. I did a little speaking in classes and like that was a part of activities in classes. So I was like I was a part of the culture for the day, right? Um, and then I spoke to the teachers at the end of the day. And the class that I was in teaches a boss. Hmm. Like she's teaching, I think it was philosophy. Yo, I swear Like, it was, like... And the kids are... She's... This is the thing. The kids were allowed to be them. She didn't change how they interacted. She just kept the conversation going and redirecting, right? The conversation. But then, like, allowed them to express themselves the way they express, right? Um, Within the confines of classroom, right? But uh, the cell phone thing, right? I'm... Yo, every class. She was like... We're talking about the water situation in Flint, Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. And... All right, she, everybody, take out your phones, look up the statistics and this and that. Boom, they pulled it out. Boom. She said, put it away, and then started a debate. I was in every single class. Some clays were more rowdier than others, but she allowed each class to have their own identity, right? Now, I felt that I had to get some years. Like, I was a product of it, like getting straight out of college. I needed to move out of my house, and I went and got a teaching job, and then I had to learn. Like, that doesn't happen out of college right that takes years but like the work that goes into it like putting in the work like i'm, I'm sure she built those relationships she mm-hmm. allowed the kids to be themselves and i felt this when i was at Kippus high school like when we did circles teachers will feel a certain way because it would look different to them but i'm like that's bold like let them be them and i let kids like um the kids in my class were predominantly um were predominantly uh african right First generation, second generation um, African kids in America, right? Um, and their experience is totally different. Like I had a bunch of kids that from Nigerian households that is very strict. There's no communication. There's no like, there's no restorative anything, right? Mm-hmm. So like, l- allowing them to get time to in a in a space that looks totally different than them going. And these are good students. These are kids that are outspoken. And they have all this personality, but they're getting straight A's in the class, right? Because they have that discipline at home, right? But it, it, it looks different to do restorative, it looks crazy. So like building that and giving time to see, like I had to sit back and be like, my way don't work. Like my my privilege, you know, way doesn't work. Like I need to understand that I need to do certain, totals. like the class was legit majority of those students, right? first-generation, second-generation African students. And I was just like, yo, like, and the way we build into the stuff that they got to talk about and express, and I learned about the households. I learned about, like, the the, the things they deal with on a daily basis and all of this um, in a predominantly Latino community, which Mm. is crazy, you know what I mean? And, like, seeing that, I was like, whoa, right? So getting to that point and doing this speaking engagement um, to the to the teachers, like they complaining about cell phones and the kids having control, right? So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take cell phones at the beginning of the day. I was like, what are we doing? Right? What what is that gonna help? Right? Because at the end of the day, like the world is changing. like we are so there's so many things like and I'm sure you feel like this with the, the, the criminal justice system. So many practices that are so outdated. Like what are we doing? Why can't they use cell phones?
3: He said a fair based yeah, yep. yeah.
1: exactly yeah
3: you're right. scared of what happens when i give them freedom to use yeah. a phone oh then it's going to this and then they're going to this instead of saying well why can't i like uh be confident in myself that i can control that Ex-
0: right. exactly. you know and, and then
3: that's the same thing you know like kids right like what i deal with they've been trying they've been trying to shut them down for the longest right this hyper kid this this angry kid shut the behavior down shut it down shut it down why don't you steer it You're not going to shut down a lot of these, the the makeup of what what makes them who they are. You're not going to shut it down. Wherever they got it from, like some of these rages that you see come from those parents, come from their parents or come from somewhere, you know, within the family as well as from the environment that they came from. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that. And it's not going to go away. But what you can do is you can help them focus it on something else and start using those same skills that they use to get in trouble to do something more positive so they can start feeling good about themselves
1: it takes time man it takes time Mm -hmm. the work that we do takes this ain't gonna happen in three years and two and two three years four years it's gonna take more than that and i think like for me this is my mission is to get as big as possible so that people will in those higher positions will listen listen
2: because
1: honestly that's what i need to get to because it, and I, I'm not anything against the schools that I'm working with or anything like that. It's just that they're so conditioned for years, right? right? In mm-hmm. the systems that's been working, that made them successful, that kept money in their pocket, that kept the school running, right? And trying to break that is crazy. Like you said, you're gonna be rocking a lot of ships. You're gonna be stirring the pot, and people are gonna get upset. It's gonna look different, but I'm willing to put it out there and put my neck out there because it's bigger than me now. But it's just like. You know what I mean? Like, seeing that is it's crazy because it's like, like you said, flip it. Like, kids, you're stopping kids from videoing on um, Snapchat or going on these sites, right? TikTok. Well, they t- they TikTok want, and I'm everything. On TikTok. I'm on TikTok, too. And I'm just like, that one's crazy. Man, my like,
3: kids told me about it. I didn't even know about it. Yeah. I <laughs> learn about it from a fifth grader right It's now.
1: a bunch <laughs> of videos. It's more videos and, like, music and silly stuff. And, you know what I mean? So, I can see the fear, right? Yeah, 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 but yeah. the thing is, if you're doing the right thing you have nothing to fear right Mm -hmm. give me on tape what you gonna get me being professional because that's all i'm you gonna get right but the fear of what and i think a lot of people haven't even thought about that they're just saying that it's it's Mm -hmm. just it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. and they're like but i do my job well what am i to fear? if they get me on camera and it goes viral people will know more about my school
3: you right? know, it's, it's funny. Know, a, that's what I'm looking at. I had a student. It was a fifth grader. And um, I w- And it's funny. I just talked to a teacher that, at the middle school that he's at and she's saying he's ready to exit the program. Yeah. So I, was, I mean, he was feeling good about that. But you know, I just remember when he was within our school. And it's a prime example of what happens when I try to get a kid back in regular classes. Like, cause for me, I can get you in, okay, thirty minutes at a time. Oh, okay, he did good. Or I do an hour uh, next week. Okay, he did an hour half a day. Okay, half a month. If he's doing a full day, then he's going back to his regular classes. Mm-hmm. But you have to find a teacher who's willing to even allow him to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, prime example. Go to say, man, this kid's he's pretty cool, man. He's he's good. He's mild tempered. I believe he's able to at least sit in the class for a few. Comes back after, and, and, and keep in mind, uh, general education teachers don't really look into the background of a, of a student. Hmm. Okay. So the moment I talk to this teacher about getting this kid in class, all of a sudden they go and read their background. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it shows that he has a personality disorder. I don't know if this is going to work. Have you met the kid? Mm-hmm. Not even seen the kid before. Mm. But ready. you first went into the first thing you did was go into his file to see something you can argue to keep him out.
1: It makes it's me think. Yeah, it, it <laughs> makes me think of it yeah. makes me think of Tupac. Uh, For my younger viewers, Tupac Shakur was a rapper that was very popular in the nineties. <laughs> but um, Tupac, when he was at the court, and I remember he stood up, and the, it was a big moment. It, back then, there was no social media, but it went viral. Basically, mm-hmm. all over the news sites, where he stood up to so the judges, like yo, like just give me my sentencing. You haven't looked at me not one time. You haven't even, like it doesn't even seem fair the stuff that's going on. Just give me my sentence. I don't even want to stand. You wasting time right now because you're not even willing to give me a shot. And I feel like that has not changed. And that was like 1990. Mm-hmm. 1990-
3: i think the only thing we just cha- and they're not even changing, like you said it hasn't changed but the only thing different is we see it that is happening in way you know other parts of life that we didn't even think about it right. you know I mean, like, like not giving you a chance in the courtroom was the same as in the classroom now that we sit here and, right. and discuss it won't even same look. as uh, a person in jail trying to get out of jail or a person already out of jail and trying to get a job won't even look yeah. right i mean it was just that same concept of once you get hit with a stigma Whether it's a minority, whether it's a a criminal background, whether it's a social economic status, what diagnosis, mental disorder, whatever. Once you get slapped with that, that fear of whatever it is gets kicked in. Oh, I don't want a kid who's uh, economically disadvantaged around me. You know, whatever, whatever, he might take something. (laughs) I don't want to deal with this behavior kid. He might influence all my other kids. I don't want to do, you know, right. So it's always a fear associated with whatever. Whatever is related to discrimination at that time.
2: Well, and and for those folks that are a part of the system, right? I'm a part of the system. You're part of the system. We're all part of the system. And so everybody, when they walk in, adults or even the kids, right? I, I love the Restorative Justice Court in Chicago. You use the phrase "everybody's just a justice system participant." Hmm. You know, we're all in the same field, uh, same plan level, but. Um, but as we go into the system as our day-to-day lives, right, it's like every interaction with someone else, we have two choices, and it's as simple as that. Mm. You you, you either decide fear and oppression or you decide love and freedom. Mm. And if you continue to choose, like Tupac's judge, if you continue to choose fear and oppression and you're unwilling to engage with other human beings, right, your heart is then going to be oppressed. Mm-hmm. And the only way, if you choose Love and freedom for that other person. That's the only way you're ever going to feel oh, love and freedom for your own heart and release Agreed. that and Right. Rest that.
1: And I think the important part, we get caught up in our own communities, like looking at the outsiders. Mm-hmm. They do that. But we need to look at our own selves in our own communities. We're doing it to ourselves as well. right? We do it to ourselves. where we, we're, we're, we're not um, opening ourselves up. To have these conversations, protecting ourselves and everybody's situation is different. But at the end of the day, we need to have those conversations. The mission should be is like, let's cut the bullshit. Let's just let's just talk. Let's real talk. Let's just have this conversation right here.
2: Well, it's the craziest thing to me too, and that's again, you know, why we connected because the whole restorative justice is because what the end game of restorative justice is exactly what that fear and oppression like desires, is this like safety in communities. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if you give true love and freedom, as a society, you know each other, you know your neighbors, you know your classrooms, and guess what? You'll be able to make your community safe, and that is the end goal. So it's like the only way we're ever going to get to that peace that we all desire is to do exactly the opposite of what most people
1: tend to do it's just like a fear like the fear of like feeling like you don't understand or you 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 haven't been through that or whatever it's just like most people just want you to be you Mm -hmm. right just be you and enter the door don't try to be like don't try to change your dialect don't try to change your swag because you're in a room like and that's why i respect you like because you you look like the type that you just come in the space like i came in here a little later than you did you were here before i was Right. And you're interacting with Dre and it just looked like organic, like you just chilling, right? And it was just like you weren't trying to be anything different than who you are. And that's where I think that's the type of work you want to get to, right? And it's just like that's where I'm preaching, like restorative practice isn't within the confines of eight hours of the day at school or at work. Mm-hmm. It's something that's a lifestyle, right? And at the end of the day, it makes your life better and easier. The fact that, like, I remember being a teacher. I'm talking from experience. Being a teacher, starting out and just so like going to what's easy, like disciplining these kids because it was easier to do. I needed to get home. I had a baby on the way, or the baby was here, and that was a stressful time. So I didn't want to add more to my plate and just going with what's easier. But understanding that that like it got to a point where it became too much. I was taking what I was doing at home at school home, and like that oppression or like that uh, neglect was like killing me,
3: mm-hmm. right?
1: And at the end of the day, like if you take the long route, right? Get to do the work the right way with these kids, with these with these people that you're working with in these communities, right? Um, essentially, it starts transcending throughout your life and it becomes like second nature where you're having these conversations from work to the grocery store with a random person to your, your relative that you're meeting after work on the weekends, you just meeting random people and just having these conversations. It becomes second nature, right? So when you get back to work, it's like, this is what I do all, all day. Like, this isn't nothing, right. right? And I think that's what we're wanting to get to. Um, and that's what we should be
2: trying to get to. Every time you choose love and freedom, it makes it easier to choose love and freedom the next time. Yeah, Yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. for sure. But it's is crazy. Well in my
3: case, love and support.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Right? I it's mean it, like, it's so interesting how many people I come across teachers or people who are associated with education who really find it difficult to love a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, especially the problematic ones, right? It's like when you sub like suggest a solution that does uh that's based on love or support, it's like, you know, that fear kicks in, like, why 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 would that? no. That kid didn't deserve that, you know, and so I wish that people would take that concept into mind when they're dealing with that problematic child. Like, yes, it's easier to to respond, uh, you know, with your emotions and, and you know, go straight to, to punishment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not even discipline, we're talking straight mm-hmm. punishment. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, because it's easy, it's, it's easy to to do something real quick and, and express yourself through the choice you make. So I'm right. Yeah. And so it's, it, it's quite uh, funny. Like when you, um, I mentioned, you know, most people just want you to be who you want. Well, not my kids. Right. They've been told to change mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, every yeah. day. That's, that's, that's They've great. been told that they're not good yep. every day. And it sucks because I know when they get older, they're going to be, simply they're going to told oh well this is your strength just mm-hmm. do that why can't they be told that early on yeah. right i mean because right. that's what that's what eventually happens right like even if they don't make it in in uh, uh general education you know they push them over to a trade or, or just pretty much do something you can do that's true Right. but if we know that that's what's going to happen why haven't we designed a program more towards that as a at a, at a, at a younger age mm-hmm. versus a program that's designed to just Ship them out of here. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's crazy. Man. Well, and I gotta thank y'all for this conversation because I've never explored the depths of the similarities of, of applying restorative justice yeah. in these two arenas. I mean, I've always thought of, you know, America's restorative justice is going into schools, and okay, well, I gotta drag it back into you know there's two different systems that mm. restorative justice should be applied to, but this is helping me see like, no, it's actually this is the same. it's just
1: the same thing that's why I think it was a great uh, decision to bring you on and have this conversation Uh, we I know it's it's being uh, uh, recorded but like we're learning in the moment like Mm -hmm. I'm learning from the conversation the the stories you got and Dre's bringing up uh, stuff and you know I mean we're learning and I'm actually a lot of stuff that I was saying was off of what you guys were saying like I think this is this is the beautiful thing of just having these conversations, right? And a lot of what we're talking about is this right here. Um, mm-hmm. and creating this type of space for like educators and just like you know, what I mean, it's just like let's cut the bullshit. We all have biases. What yeah. are yours? Right? let right, let's let's just yeah. cut to the let's cut to the, the chase. Like you have you have this type of privilege, I have that type of privilege, I am aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that will change the conversation. I think what you would when you were talking, it just hit me. I was just like, everybody's Trying so hard to be a good person that they end up not being a good person Mm -hmm. because they're trying to do the right thing in school terms or in in the justice system terms. What is the right thing? Like, what is the right thing? Systems that work years, centuries ago, right? For fact, for like factory workers and all that, and it's still being in these schools. Like, we haven't really truly adjusted. And if we look at that, it'll be easier to have the conversation. It's not personal. We want to be better, let's just have
3: this conversation. This reminds me of the conversation we had about I think it was maybe the first two episodes when we talked about fatherhood. Yeah. And we were talking about how sometimes we had made mistakes trying not to be like our father. Right. Yeah. I think that's what happens when people are trying to be perfect. That's simply trying to avoid the wrong. Yeah. But because you're thinking about the wrong, thinking about avoiding the wrong, the wrong is still on your mind and eventually your brain is gonna to go towards the wrong. Yep. Right. And, right. And, and and what you should be doing, right, is thinking not thinking about the mistake you shouldn't make, but simply thinking about the right thing you should do. Yeah. And just. Right. Yeah. And then just keep those type of thoughts in your head versus the fear of making that mistake or the opposite of what you're not supposed to do. You know what I mean?
1: But it's not even. that. Well, I agree with that. I mean, like just being present, like in your thoughts, like J. Cole said this in an interview recently. And I just love the way his mind is is at right now, where he's he's talking about, like, I don't want to be a slave to my thoughts. And that's why he's doing meditation. It's just like, we are slaves to our thoughts, like, all day. And especially as a business owner now, it's just like, there's so much stuff in my head. Like, I literally have to tell myself, stop. You know what I mean? And J. Cole said it like, sometimes you just sitting in the room, he's just like, yo, let me just listen to the fan. <laughs> and just, like, give me five minutes of just doing that and just be present in the moment. I think if we look at that in the profession of teaching, education, or in the, the, the law enforcement uh, field, like um, or in law, to just take a second and be present so we can offer up what's, what's necessary. We can identify like, yeah, our mind is going to wander off, but we have to reshape, reshift that to like, be like, okay, I'm here, right? And that, that that's normal. Like We have thoughts all in our heads every two seconds. And it's all about being present and having those conversations to be um, able to identify it. And I, I, t- I said this to a group of kids. It's like we talk about, you know what I mean, don't talk about yourself because people going to know your stuff. And you don't want people to know your weakness and all that. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's complete bullshit. It's like you should talk about it more so you know it more. And it don't matter who knows it because if you talk about it more you're going to know it better than anybody
2: else and it's going to be water off your back. I'm going to give a good plug to Brian Stevenson. Uh, okay. I got I got to watch a screening of Just Mercy. It's coming out in Christmas. Oh, uh, uh,
1: with Michael B. Jordan? Oh, uh, yeah. And Jamie Foxx? Yeah, yeah. so I got to I see it
2: earlier. Uh, early at Texas Southern University and my favorite line, so I'm I'm you know giving away a piece of it, but the, at the end the the Girl that had helped him start the organization looked at him and just said, You know a lawyer's always told me that you shouldn't get too close to your clients hmm. because you'll get too emotionally invested and that that kind of equates to what you're saying is like lawyers always operate in this sense that don't take the time hmm. to pause and look at your client right." and then what she says in the movie is you've taught me that that's complete bullshit. You look at your clients, like their family. And you love them and you know their family and you care what happens to them. And that's because Brian Stevenson like like took the time to stop and say who is this person? How yeah. does this make sense? Mhm. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. yeah, that that that's that is that's is pretty deep because when we were talking with uh, uh, Tyrone about that um about that um it's I can see that being difficult for someone who's made a living being a shark mm-hmm. you see what I mean mm-hmm. it's like you've been conditioned to focus so much on what you do and that's what made you good at what you are mm-hmm. so down, yeah. to tell that particular person to stop is almost like telling to go against what made him him Mm-hmm. you know um i can see if they were unsuccessful at it mm-hmm. right but you still have your fair share of people that are very very successful when they are thinking like that yeah. you know and or like like say for example the prosecutor mm-hmm. right he should definitely look at the, the defendant you should definitely not want to get to know that guy because your job is to put him away you know, your job, your purpose is to, you know,
2: so. Well, yeah, their job should be to seek justice. To oh, well, of course. <laughs> and, 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 but you're right. Of course, right. The culture, right? The put him away.
3: Yeah. And so for that person, they're not trying to, oh, let's see what kind of guy he is. Like, nah.
2: Right.
3: Nah. All I know is he did this. I got to make sure that these people see that this is what he did so they can, you know, put him away. Nah.
1: It's, it's, it's crazy, man. I think this is... This is what needs to be at. I think this is the best episode we had so far. To be honest, Drew, you came in and killed it. You put flames on this right <laughs> here, man. <laughs> now nah, you killed it. I think it, it, your perspective is, is key, and I think you you noticing that, you know, um, it all aligns because we've been saying it, but like having you here and actually being able to articulate that and say that from your field to all the way to elementary and to high school, like it all connects. It's crazy. Like we need to do the work. And I think bringing awareness is um, the first, the first step. You know what I mean? Is I know your your process is gonna be years down the line, right? And mine is too. And um, I just hopefully we inspire you guys to like wanna or uh, whatever it is, y'all yeah, wanna impact or whatever. It is, takes time um, to break old habits at work. And I think like what you're saying. I think the beautiful thing um, now is that. It's documented differently. Like even these big entertainers, like all that rah-rah at the beginning, where they're getting this money, they're doing all these shows, rappers are like killing it. It looks, it looks more like that's a show. Because you have other rappers that went through that, like the J. Cole stage, then the Jay-Z stage, right? Where it's like we see the growth, the trend. Like, yeah, I was at that time, but I grew I had to grow out of it. This is how I did it, right? It's it's out there. Um, and I think that. If we start using that to our advantage, like people that are in that in those worlds, right, are saying like, "No, we need to reflect." We really. Jay Z had a whole album about, and whatever you may feel about Jay Z, Jay Z was a hot thing back in his twenties, nine, and his thirties, right, when he was the main. Whoever's hot right now, he was hotter than him, right. And then he grew out of that, and he had a whole album about reflection and like I effed up, like I messed up my marriage. I almost lost all my kids, and I almost I I, I I almost lost all my money. This is how I learned how to get out of it, right? Um, just using that to advance because that's—that's—that's that's key. It's out there. Like it, it's evident that if we don't reflect and we just oppress, right? We, it's not gonna get you to a good place. You're gonna end up like the, a lot of these documentaries with these entertainers losing their shit, right? And not yeah. being happy. Um, and that's not what we're trying to get to. We're trying to be more healthy. So. Episode 11, I think this is a great one. Um, thank you, Drew, for coming down um, and blessing us with your, with your presence and your knowledge and your background. Dre, thank you for um, always opening up and giving us your perspective. Um, episode 11, this is one for the books. We'll be back next time with episode 12. I'll see y'all later.
0: Looking for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs? Then look no further than Always Press Record Productions. With over 100 hours of original content produced, Always Press Record Productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your YouTube, podcast, and music video needs. Check them out at alwayspressrecord.com. Once again, that's alwayspressrecord.com. And remember, they press record and you become the star.